Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Past Matters, the podcast that asks museums, galleries and historic houses what the most underrated items in their collections are and why they matter. I'm your host, Ploy Radford. So this podcast is about celebrating the underrated. And in this episode, I talk to art historian and miniatures expert Emma Rutherford about an utterly remarkable artist whose work is being exhibited for the first time in a 100 years at the Philip Molden Company Gallery in London. The artist in question is Sarah Biffin, who lived from 1784 to 1850 and created beautiful works of art, particularly miniatures, that would be considered wonderful even if you weren't aware that she painted them without hands. Yep, you heard me right. Biffin was born with Focamelia, so she didn't have arms or legs. And she overcame this enormous challenge to become a celebrated artist who painted for the royal family. In this episode, you'll find out more about the extraordinary life she lived, her artwork, and how she was perceived during her lifetime. The level of detail in her work is incredible, so I urge you to go visit the exhibition if you can. And you can view some of the works on my social media channels. If you like what you hear, please do give me a follow on social media, share this podcast with your friends and family, and leave a review. I love getting feedback from you. Now, without further ado, on to learning more about Sarah Biffin. Hi, Emma. I'm so excited to be here at Philip Molden Company, chatting to you about your latest exhibition and the life of quite an extraordinary sounding woman. Could you introduce Sarah Biffin to us? I can, yeah. So Sarah Biffin um, was first and foremost an artist um, and secondly um, she was born with a condition called Focamelia which um, means it's a genetic condition. She's born without arms or legs and she's born into a very small rural community in Somerset on the coast uh, to quite a poor family. She's got siblings. Um, they seem to lead a fairly um, normal life, apart from the fact that Sarah uh, is, a, is a very determined little girl and decides to teach herself secretly to, to sew at the age of eight. She manages to thread um, a needle in her mouth and uh, amazes her parents uh, by, do, by doing this and then eventually starts to make her own clothes. And it's clear, um, or becomes clear, that she's a very determined individual. And she, um, th- there are lots of fairs which travel the country at, at this stage. They're a huge highlight of the social calendar for anybody. And at one of these fairs, which clearly uh, went near her, her hometown in Somerset, she and her family meet somebody called Mr. Dukes, who is a sort of showman and manager of, of acts in these in these traveling fairs and uh, she's around 20 years old she um, decides or her parents decide or it's a joint decision she's going to join this traveling fair which is like a, a circus and Dukes is going to put her on display and uh, she will be uh, exhibited to the public as somebody who can can sew um, using her mouth, um, but also she's a sort of physical exhibit, um, what was then called a freak show. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as learning to, to sew, she starts to teach herself to, to paint. And this becomes a real phenomenon. Um, and she starts to be billed on these posters as the eighth wonder or the greatest wonder in the world, uh, not even in the West Country, but the world. And um, 
she soon comes to the attention of, of nobility and royalty and eventually um, is taught by a royal academician who also works for the royal family. And um, in around 1820, she sets herself up as an independent portrait painter specialising in miniatures and becomes an independent woman artist, wow. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it's amazing really in, in um, in any decade of the 19th century. But for somebody who um, has this disability, it's, it's even more remarkable. Um, and then she takes commissions. She becomes a very successful artist, pretty wealthy, and um, marries. Uh, unfortunately, it's not, it doesn't seem to have been a very successful marriage, but, um, but really builds her career, becomes an absolute household name and, and rather a celebrity. Dickens mentions her in four of his novels. Um, and then she has the ultimate ambition of trying to cross the Atlantic to get to uh, America, uh, just like people like Charles Dickens were, were doing to really spread their fame, and moves to Liverpool with the intention of, of going to America. This is where the ships leave for America. But unfortunately, the last 10 years of her life, um, she suffers some ill health, and portrait miniatures are, are rather falling out of fashion by the 1840s because photography is coming in. And she ends up really uh, dying in, in poverty despite uh, friends uh, and quite influential people trying to, to raise some, some money for her. So, so she has an amazing story, um, and, but she's really not very well known at all. Oh my goodness. And, and, and going back to her parents, you say it could have been a joint decision to go join a travelling fair. Yeah, we don't know much about the circumstances. I mean, secondary sources talk a lot about her being sold to the circus and how to her parents she might have seemed like a bit of a meal ticket, um, someone with a disability, somebody who looked different. Um, the, the employment opportunities for a disabled woman in the... She was born in 1784, so in the late Georgian early Regency period, are, are, are sort of circus or nothing, really. Um, so we, we don't really know what the circumstances were, but we do... We've got lots of, of Sarah's letters uh, she wrote herself with her mouth um, in this beautiful script. Um, she doesn't really talk about the circumstances, but through these letters we can glean that she's, she's really quite ambitious, independent, entrepreneurial. She's a great businesswoman. Um, and, and possibly this was, at the age of 20, an opportunity to leave the rural community and, and explore and travel um, and, and see the world. Um, but she did end up staying uh, with uh, Dukes for 15 years, so it was obviously uh, a, a, an arrangement which um, okay. which suited her up to a point. So he wasn't an entirely dastardly character. In no, mind. no, he's, he's definitely, definitely been portrayed, portrayed as, as a mm. dastardly character. Um, and uh, he, like a typical showman, uh, he's known in the uh, in the show community as Emmanuel Dukes, but in fact, doing our research, we found out his first name was John. So <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's definitely got a touch of the showman um, about him. But um, but I, she li she lives with the Dukes family and talks about the Dukes family in her letters. So I think. Um, we have more of a sense that she left one family for another yeah. um, and, and was able to make some money. But then later on, she, t she does mention that Dukes takes the majority of her earnings. So 
It, not yeah. a great character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the jury's out on Duke's visit. Okay. And then she gets amazing patronage by a member of the nobility. Yeah. So the, um, she, she paints at a fair in Edinburgh and meets a character called the Earl of Morton. He lives, lives just outside Edinburgh. And he obviously meets her at a fair, um, asks her to paint his portrait and in between sittings he takes this portrait away with him so that she can't get another artist to paint it or use any kind of form of trickery and he's so amazed with her skills as an artist that he shows his portrait to um, George III and between them they decide that she needs some tuition or, or could it, it might improve her skills if she had some tuition so they, they get a royal academician who's painted the royal family called William Marshall Craig, and he um, gives, gives Biffin lessons um, that she couldn't actually have got in the Royal Academy schools because women were not admitted mm. at that stage. So uh, there's, there's a sort of contradiction here in that she has this disability and um, a lot of writers writing about her call her this poor little artist and um, that there's quite a patronising tone around her, but in fact she really seems to break quite a lot of barriers yeah. that other women artists couldn't break mm. at the time. So she does get this amazing tuition. Her art um, certainly improves um, through this tuition, and it, and it really leads her onto this path of being this totally independent woman artist. Wow. And she doesn't marry until she's nearly 40, so she doesn't have to stop painting when she's married because because by then she's already got such a long career under under her belt most women artists seem to stop when they marry and certainly when they have children in this period so she's um she's defying a lot of conventions um despite perhaps what we might see as as the the burden of um of her disability so and was the Earl of Morton, did he patronise a lot of artists, or was this quite an unusual? He did, one? yeah. He, he, had, he seems to have had a really keen interest in art, um, but also in science, which is another aspect of Sarah Biffin. Um, we know that her, she was physically studied by a lot of the scientists of the day, okay. and her condition was named during her lifetime, so it wasn't, wasn't given a name mm. before. Um, and, and there are a few prints which show doctors studying her and, uh, but I mean it's, um, she again seems to have, have gone along with that willingly, but she, uh, Morton was a member of, um, of, of, sort of sci scientific and, and medical establishments as well, so he had this sort of dual interest in art and science. Uh, but he seems to have been, um, they, they seem to have had a genuinely good relationship, despite the fact that she's um, you know, from, from this rural community and, and, um, and he's an earl. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they correspond and, mm -hmm. um, and she relies on him for a lot of her business decisions mm -hmm. and contacts. He was yeah. brilliant for contacts. Um, so, so it seems to have been quite a good sort of mutually cooperative relationship um, rather okay. than her being taken under his wing. Mm. And, and I mean among those contacts I imagine you said she painted members of the royal family. Yeah so uh, one of the things that we think he enabled was that she travelled to Brussels um, in 1821 and, and met the future king of Brussels so mm. um, and, and gets employed at the court there so she doesn't only ha start to have a national reputation she starts to have an international reputation which is, is just amazing and 
we think from the records that she went with Morton's retinue over, over to Brussels, which was becoming a real artistic centre. And you have artists like Turner going over more or less the same, same time. So it's, um, he's, he's very good for her, um, but her story is certainly not sort of told via men, but it, it, does, it does show how you, uh, this period you, mm. men do hold quite a lot, a lot of the power. <laughs> Um, but I think I think she I think she uses them well. Mm. And and sort of sort of going off that idea of her voice and you know she's not powerless. I think it's quite interesting. This is she does a lot of self portraits. Yeah. See that as her, I guess, getting the you know making sure the conversation about her is how she wants to be depicted. Exactly. Yeah. This this is an area we've devoted um, quite a large part of the exhibition to because. This is where she has the opportunity to show herself as she wanted to be viewed by others. So my, um, my favourite um, exhibit really is a self-portrait she did in 1821 when she's absolutely at the height of her career. She's given a medal by the, by the Society of Arts, later became the Royal Society of Arts. Um, she gets the large silver medal, which is a great accolade. She's exhibiting at the Royal Academy, which is amazing. Um, she exhibits in the same year that the Hay Wayne by Constable is wow. exhibited. So she's, she's up against some pretty... <laughs> big hitters, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big hitters, exactly. And um, this, this self-portrait, she's looking straight out at the viewer. Her sleeves are sewn up, so she's not hiding her disability at all. And she's got a paintbrush sewn into her sleeve so that she could easily reach it with her mouth. And then she's in this very grand chair with this wonderful sort of gilded carved arm and a lovely um, velvet curtain behind her. So, so quite the traditional artist studio. And then you can see behind her, there's a few of her artworks hanging. So you could see the sort of quality she was, she was producing. And it's as though you're sitting in the studio facing her and it, it gives her an idea perhaps of what that experience might have been like. But she's, um, she's also, in her self-portraits, she's clearly got a real interest in fashion. She's always wearing wonderful <laughs> jewelry and ribbons and amazing hats. Um, and we've, we've used, um, been lucky enough to use the advice of Alison Lapper, mm -hmm. who's born with the same condition for mm -hmm. Camellia, um, only obviously a um, century and a half later. And um, she's been able to tell us about things like, um, you know, I could never wear a hat like that when I was painting because mm -hmm. you just can't move your head yeah. and paint with a hat that enormous on your, on your head. So, so we know in some ways that these self-portraits are... Um, are a little bit of an illusion, um, mm -hmm. but but that makes them all the more all the more interesting because clearly uh, Sarah Biffin wanted to to fit into society. She wanted yeah. to be fashionable, respectable, um, mm. just, despite her background, despite her disability, and despite her gender. So she's, she's like a really sort of feisty, like determined, yeah, determined woman. It really really come, <laughs> comes across, and um, and later in in her life when. She's um, when her friends are trying to raise money mm -hmm. to, to, to keep her keep her going. Really, um, they they write about you know you must remember her her beautiful singing voice and her laugh and and her wonderful conversation and and that they're they're writing to people who've met her who mm. who and she clearly made an impression on people yeah. not because of her physical appearance necessarily but 
through her, her, her personality and her talent. Yeah, yeah. talent yeah. first and foremost. <laughs> and you reference in that painting the sort of the uh, the artist brush on her sleeve. Yes, is that yeah. where she would have actually had it? Yeah. So we there are quite a few first-hand accounts that we've found of, of people who. Um, whose portrait was painted by her and they they describe how she would have the paintbrush sewn into her sleeve and then she would she would reach for that um, and with with her mouth and then paint with her mouth but also slightly guided by her shoulder stump so mm -hmm. so we know um, how she painted although there aren't any um, mm. images of her actually in the act of, of painting yeah um, but um, but yeah she um, she seems to have painted with largely with her mouth I mean, miniatures must take an extraordinary amount of skill yeah. anyway to do that with just your mouth. Yes, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just sort of, it, it's kind of unthinkable. And the other thing with, um, with Alison Lapper that's been really useful is to talk about that technique. And Alison decided that for this exhibition, she wanted to, uh, to paint a miniature have on display alongside Sarah Biffins but she said I, I gave up I just couldn't control the very delicate movements that, that are needed to paint on that scale and in that technique in yeah. watercolor so in fact she's submitted a, a fantastic um, profile self-portrait in, in I think in acrylic so and it's much larger than than a miniature so she's it's been so useful to know just how talented yeah. uh, Sarah Biffin was and, and have that control as an, as an artist. Mm. If you were looking at a painting, you couldn't see who it was by, how would you know straight away? Could you tell straight away that it's by Sarah Biffin? Well, she, she signed uh, nearly all of her works, um, some of them on the, on the reverse, um, a lot of them on, on the front. So, and a, the title of the exhibition, Without Hands, comes from the way that she signed her works, which was nearly always she put by Sarah Biffin, painted without hands. But um, she, her technique varied quite a lot. I think she clearly looked around at other artists and took inspiration from other artists. She doesn't have a particularly distinctive style, although we've now discovered over 170 works by her, so we're more and more a sense of, of her, her sort of signature mm -hmm. style. But, um, but luckily she did, she did sign most, most works. And her decision to, I guess, specialise in miniatures, do we know if there was a, a reason behind it or just, you know, she wanted to show off a range of skill? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because she's definitely chosen a really, really difficult, technically difficult type of portraiture. And I, I don't know, it, it may have been that um, from a business point of view, they're quite quick to paint. They, they, because they're watercolour, they dry very quickly. And, mm -hmm. and she, because she was so used to travelling around with the show, it's possible that she um, she felt she could also travel around and paint miniatures, which we, we know she did. Somewhere like Bath, uh, Leamington Spa, you know, these towns where, where the wealthy would go for the season. Mm -hmm. You often get miniaturists taking lodgings and okay. painting people who, yeah. who came. It, it was mm -hmm. part of one of your sort of leisure activities. So um, I think she just felt she could probably get through quite a lot of commissions um, rather than doing something as laborious as, as an oil painting. And, and do we know how much she would have been paid for this kind of work? Yeah, so we've, we've tried to um, compare her with, with other artists and she seems to have largely 
undercharged um, compared to other women miniaturists of the period. And it, I, it seems to have cost you more to have gone and see her, seen her at the fair and have one of the most expensive miniatures painted at 10 guineas uh, than when you went to see her at her studio where okay. she seems to have charged slightly less. Mm. Um, so we don't we don't really know uh, the, the decisions behind yeah. that, but um, but I, she seems to have been very successful, um, financially successful. Um, she even uh, sets up a school for other artists, um, oh, wow. particularly aimed at women artists. Again, in the in the later eighteen twenties, so she's um, she's sort of expanding her empire really. Um, <laughs> she even offers a sort of correspondence. Yeah course uh, to people who can't actually see her in person and we have lots of letters where she says I'm you know sorry I'm so behind on your portrait and so busy and I think her life was was really full and busy and she looked for opportunities to make money wow um, what a businesswoman. <laughs> yes exactly but exactly. she ended her life in poverty so yeah I mean you know this this is a period where you know there, there's not there's not a lot of help uh, if you're a single woman um, and if you're relying on a trade that you that you can't continue um, or you haven't married someone who's left you a wonderful fortune in their will or, or your family's wealthy um, mm. so yes towards the end of her life she definitely seems to have suffered from ill health although we're not quite sure of the nature mm. of it but I mean she she lives into her 60s so she she does pretty well for the, for the period and her friends um, and people people like Rathbone who are great philanthropists in Liverpool and Joseph Mayer, they they try really hard to to get um, people to contribute to a fund to, mm. to keep her going. So I, I think she was fairly well looked after, uh, mm. even even when her her ability to paint slowed down, and and really I think her ability to travel um, when that, mm. when that ceased, that that yeah. caused real issues for her. Okay, it sounds like she's had a lot of supporters in her lifetime. Yes. Yeah. But I imagine there were perhaps critics, maybe the men that the Academy didn't like. Yeah, well, <laughs> the Academy is really interesting because mm. you submitted your work without, uh, blind as it were, you know, they, they mm. meet the artist. It was, the work was submitted and then um, exhibited on, on the merit of the work itself. So she obviously submitted works that were deemed to be uh, absolutely equivalent of everything else that was being exhibited there. Um, and, and did very well, and people like Lawrence, um, Thomas Lawrence were on the committee, so it's mm. pretty tough artists, but, um, but she, I would say she never quite broke into the sort of mainstream okay. fine art, mm. she didn't really do history painting or the type of painting that was considered the, the mm. kind of height. Um, portraiture was a, a little bit more of between an art and a craft at this at more this commercial, period. Yeah. more commercial, mm. and um, and slightly less worthy. Um, okay. But I mean, she did try to hand it still alive. A few scenes, but I guess her disability may have meant that she couldn't um, do a turner and travel and mm. sort of take images of of things um, that that might have been deemed slightly. Uh, higher mm. art than, than portraiture. Okay, and and when people were commissioning miniatures at the time she was working, um, was it for the sort of similar reasons people had always been commissioning miniatures for? Was it just a 
pass on personal portraits of yourself to, as gifts to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, I mean, we're amongst her, um, the number of works that we've found by her, there's a surprising number of portraits of, mari of women in their wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. So this is the point at which you nearly always commissioned a miniature, okay. but it's a really important point in your in your life and mm. it's in some ways it's quite surprising that they that they chose Sarah Biffin because she I, it sort of means that they didn't necessarily go to her with a voyeuristic oh let's see mm. let's watch watch this woman paint it's yeah. a bit of a spectacle mm. they went to her because she was a genuinely good artist and yeah. we've got some works in the exhibition where she signed on the reverse so there's if you displayed the works in your house, there's no way anybody would know that they were by, by Biffin, but yeah. they are clearly of exactly the quality um, mm. that you might get from any other artist. So I like to think that people went to her because they knew she was a really good yeah. artist yeah. Uh, rather than for any other reason. But, um, but yeah, min miniatures are usually commissioned to, to mark these really important events in life. So, mm marriage or birth, getting a higher rank in the army, that, that sort of thing, they're, they're yeah. normally marked by a miniature. If people travelled overseas, then you would commission miniatures to keep in touch with what people looked like. And obviously oh. this is all pre-photography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and once photography comes in, which it does towards the end of Biffin's life, the, mm. um, the decline in, in the portrait miniature is really quite dramatic because mm. you can't really beat a photograph and of course they were new and exciting yeah. and people were amazed by the fact you could actually mm. capture uh, somebody's in yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean wow um, so she's um, she's really working in the kind of heyday of, of mm. the miniature I loved um one of the ones that's a wedding dress and yes. it's got these really sheer sleeves oh, and how she captures that. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, with, with watercolour as well, you can't layer it in the same way as oil. So that skill of, of getting that lace over overlaid uh, at the other bit of fabric is, is just just amazing. So would all miniatures been done with watercolours? Yes, yeah, so, so the definition of a miniature isn't actually to do with the size. Um, the, the tradition comes from the illuminated manuscript. So they're, they're always watercolour mm. and they're either painted on a support of vellum, mm -hmm. like parchment, uh, or later ivory um, yeah. was the, the support. So Biffin is, is painting on, on ivory because vellum's out of favour by, mm. by this stage. But the word miniature comes from the Latin minium, which was a red ledge used in manuscript illumination. And then it, because miniatures are, are small and portable and intimate, um, they're, they're always of a, of a size that's either wearable or, mm. or something you could, you could hide. Yeah. Um, so, so the miniature, minium, it all sort of ties together. in. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, that's sort of etymology behind it. But, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, tried painting on, on ivory and because ivory is quite greasy and you've got to paint it in watercolour, it just sort of slides off. It's oh, wow. really, really difficult to get it to stay on the surface, let alone get the kind of tones and the and the different textures wow. in there. So absolutely hats off to her. She was she was an incredible, uh, incredibly skilled artist, um, yeah. attempting something that was, was probably the most technically difficult type of portraiture mm. you could you could try at the at the time <laughs> and how did you come across Sarah so I've been looking at miniatures for over 25 years now and um, 
I used to work in in auction house, and her her works would come up from time to time. And because she nearly always signed without hands, um, obviously that stops you in your tracks, and you think, what do you mean by without hands? What does that actually mean? And so I I've looked into her over the years. I I did a television program in 1999 on her um, very short documentary um, on a program called uh, Revealing Secrets, uh, which embarrassingly is still available on YouTube somewhere. But, um, so, and I think that really drew me uh, into uh, thinking about her even more and allowed me to do some research. But this exhibition, in some ways, is well, it's, it's spurred on by all sorts of different things. I mean, over the past decade, um, Definitely women artists have, mm -hmm. have been looked at far more seriously um, mm -hmm. in literature and institutions, and institutions have tried very hard uh, to make their collections more diverse. So to, to look at a disabled artist who yeah. is also a woman seems to be quite timely. It, it's that question, you know, name, name any great women artists, and, mm. and so many art historians can't do that, um, but name any disabled artists, mm. uh, it's even harder. Yeah. So we felt, okay, let's, um, let's, let's really try and, um, and shine a light on her. But also, a uh, the self-portrait I was talking about earlier came mm. up in 2019 at Sotheby's um, in an auction, and it had an estimate of 1,200 to 1,800 pounds on it, and it yeah. made 137,000 pounds. Wow. So for us, that was the, it was the art market mm. and interest in, the, in this artist really, really crystallised in, in that price, right. yeah. that huge price, which really outstripped the price of any, any miniature from that period. <laughs> so, um, so, so although this, this is um, you know, a non-selling exhibition and mm -hmm. it's, it's focusing on, on her work as an artist, um, it's also a reflection of, of, of the market and, and the interest in, mm. in her as an, as an artist. So um, all sorts of different strands there. <laughs> Coming together with this exhibition, yeah, yes. Yeah. And do you have a favourite piece? You've, you've mentioned the... Uh... The self-portrait, mm. yeah. Is there, um, is there another piece that perhaps you'd be like, don't miss out on that, you might walk past it? Well, she had an obsession um, between 1811 and 1812 of painting feathers, mm -hmm. and I've, if you told me that a, an image of feathers was going to knock my socks off, <laughs> I would have been like, oh, really? Feathers? Yeah. Um, but her paintings of feathers are just totally exquisite, mm. and you look as though you could blow the page and they would just fly, yeah. and it's just, um, they're, they're just amazing, and they've got that kind of Ruskin attention to detail, that um, that sort of artist's obsession that for me really marks Sarah Biffin as a, as a really serious artist. Mm -hmm. um, she's not just somebody who's painting these to sell. This is this is like a personal uh, quest yeah. to to paint a feather as though you could reach and, and pick it up and. So I think probably um, I, I would highlight, uh, we've got, I think, three works of, of her feathers in the exhibition, uh, one of which I think is, is the, the finest, is pro probably what she considered her masterpiece in terms of feathers. <laughs> but also they were, they were something that she would have had within um, her sphere as a, as a woman in the Regency, you know, that used to decorate 
bonnets mm. um, so they're quite readily available so they're almost like a household mm. item yeah um, but at the, somebody this morning said do you think she painted feathers because they they were like flight you know mm. escape yeah. um, they, they represented that and um, and I don't know I don't know if there was a meaning behind that but it's it's a, it's a possibility they're absolutely beautiful yeah I, I mean, the self-portraits and the miniatures are obviously so striking, but the feathers definitely do catch yeah, the eye. They yeah. are they, there's a sort of modernity about them as well. They're a bit timeless. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're just, they're, they're amazing. amazing. <laughs> um, and how long is the exhibition on if everyone wants to come so and see it? It opens on the 1st of November mm -hmm. and it's on until the 21st of December. Um, but a couple of the works, so that we're borrowing one self-portrait from the National Portrait Gallery, which is going to be part of their opening display when they reopen next June. So you'll have another opportunity to see that one then. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.